Hello, and welcome back to the Legends podcast with me, Sarah Faruya of SF Creative and Sarah Faruya Coaching, where I am rising like a phoenix from the ashes after a one-year break to season seven where our theme is legends of reinvention, stories of renaissance, and the phoenix rising from the fire. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories. So let's get into these creative musings from Sarah and her guests. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Legends podcast. And today I have the most amazing person who used to live in Tokyo, a real true legend of a certain spell in Tokyo. I would say there was a decade there or certainly a few years where this woman was leading the charge on a complete cultural revolution in the Tokyo area. You could find her in parks all over the city. Please welcome (laughs) Ms. Deanne Love. Oh, that was a big intro. Cultural (laughs) revolution. I think (laughs) so. It felt like that. It felt like really fertile time. There was a lot of fecundity around at that time and it was fun, it was queer, it was, it was. everything yeah. and it was just lush and anyway really we're gonna, we'll get into this in the middle of this uh, conversation. Deanne mm-hmm. Love has launched a global revolution inside of the hula hoop. The one-time primary school teacher and creative founder of Hoop Lovers TV shares high-energy live and online sessions, workshops, and hoop teacher education. Strong in the art of streamlined instruction and intuitive facilitation, Deanne turns up the volume on the feel-good factor as a pathway to embodiment, expression, and flow for all. But that's not all. She's also doing a master's now in something else that she's going to tell us about later. On a mission to support humans around the globe to drop into their bodies as a way of finding safety, freedom, and connection with themselves and each other. Also, I've been listening to everything I can about Diane and over the last few days. And I have to say also that one of my favorite ever phrases came through here when she was talking about lockdown and how much she missed her waxer and how much (laughs) she missed having hot wax poured into her butthole. So this is. (laughs) Speaking of embodiment. (laughs) Speaking of embodiment, there is a context to that. It was a comedy comment, but it was just one of those things where I was like, yes, I love this. Today, I'm just so happy to have her here. Like I said, she did she did cause a kind of wave of revolution here in Tokyo and left Japan in a storm, if you like, and you will perhaps hear about that. Since then, has been in various parts of Australia, but has also performed and taught all over the world. And you might think maybe some of you have ideas about hooping, hula hooping as something that children did in the 70s. However, Deanne built a six-figure business from it. And that goes to show her seriousness and her smarts around business as well. So she really touches on the science, the psychology and the supernatural, the magic part. So Deanne can feel like all magic when you're with her, but there is a super brain behind all of this. And she can touch you psychologically because she is so positive and optimistic, but she also has this really rigorous side that can build a business that knows who to partner with, that knows how to do it, that knows when to walk away, that knows how to have good boundaries. And this is something I think is really amazing feature of Deanne as well, and will be interesting and useful to all of us too. So let's get into it, Deanne. 
What do you think? Uh, I am feeling so loved up right now. Oh, Thank okay. you. That, <laughs> I've got goosebumps. Oh, wow. really? That's, That's true. Love. It's Ooh. really true, though. Sometimes we miss that part. It's really easy mm. to fall in love with the magic and the the psychological yeah. feelings that come up from that. But there's yeah. a rigor behind it as well. And I'm super interested in that. Mostly I'm interested mm. in the magic, but <laughs> we do need to get, we do need to get, just get the real full picture of what it takes yeah. to build a six-figure hoop business. Yeah. Integrity. So my first question to you today, Deanne, is tell me about a reinvention that you have admired or that's had a massive impact on you. It doesn't need to be yours. Mm, yeah, well, it kind of wasn't mine. It was the hula hoop rolling into my life very randomly. Not for me. I had no idea this even, was this a thing? What, Like you said before, isn't hula hooping for kids? People hula hoop, they move weight, they hula hoop and they share it with others and they make a business out of it and they transform their lives, body, the way that they connect with humans themselves. What? I'm sorry. Wow. It it came out of nowhere. Actually, a little bit of truth to it was that it came through me scouring the internet, sitting in Tokyo. I was probably sitting in my tiny little apartment, scouring the internet for all of this inspiration that was out there. And I really still hold true to what I am seeking is seeking me. What I am seeking is seeking me. Okay. So it's kind of like what you're seeking is also seeking you. And there's a bit of trust. There's that magic. Yeah, I'm looking for something. And for so many people, it could be, who knows, it could be a new therapist. It could be a new pair of shoes. It could be, for me, it was connection with my body and continuing to dance, move and play. And so what I did when I was searching through just internet inspiration, I was looking on a blog at the time I was reading, it was Gala Darling. And she had a international dress update. This was 2007. She had an international dress update and people came and posted photos. And this one person dressed up as Heidi Von Hula. And she was like, if you want to see me in action, click here. And I was like, sure. Clicked on this link. And I was like, like full body, mind, soul, life transformation in that moment. And what I saw was this adult grown up woman in her living room with like banging beats. I think she just had like a bikini and a, you know, pair of shorts on. And she was cutting sick with this hula hoop. And not only that, the the video, it was like a YouTube video. It was on its side. So it wasn't even like, you know, back in the day, no one was creating. Yeah, yeah. Nothing got corrected. We weren't creating content. We had no, no, we were just sharing stuff on YouTube. And I was like, what is going on? And And so my immediate, like, I want to like do all the things was I can do that. I need to do that. And I was like in partnership, in like living partnership with Masa at the time who we'll probably talk about a little bit more in this podcast, amazing, incredible human. And he came home from work and I was like, Master, I need a hula hoop. I need to get a hula hoop right now. How can I get a hula hoop? You have one in the cupboard. And I was like, we live in Tokyo. There's not a hula hoop in the cupboard. And he's like, yeah, you have like, you bought one because you thought it was going to be like this fitness things. And I got it out. It was like a little kid's hoop, which I now know as an adult, we don't use little kid's hoops. We use big human hoops. And I put it together and I tried in the living room 
it was hard. Yeah. I was defeated. I was like, yeah. oh, where's the magic? Yeah. And so that sparked an absolute desire, need, and must know everything there is to know about who being. I was a primary school teacher at the time. Not long after, I quit my job. I flew overseas to learn every possible thing that I could ever know at that time about hooping. And that was 2007. So where are we at now? 16 years later, I'm still in love. Yeah. (laughs) It's so interesting. You should mention Gala Darling there because at that time, blogging was the thing. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. YouTube was a baby and it really was amateur hour over there. One of my previous guests here, Alex, he uploaded the first ever music video that he shot onto YouTube. It's pretty amazing from a, uh, a Tokyo-based singer. Anyway, that's by the by, but um, loads of us had blogs, right? Yeah. And we used to follow each other's blogs. There was Martine, yeah. there was you, you. Yours was called Sushi Zoom or something. How do you remember that? I can't remember a single wow. sentence in Japanese, but I remember all these things. Pinku Rocks. There was Martine wow. Frangipani. I was Sigzi in Tokyo. Laura, you who's now Sigzi. Yeah. It was another time. I know. It was another time. Another time, but it was such a gorgeous little bubble of everybody like commenting on each other's blogs and getting to know each other. So I was able to watch this expansion yes. through your blog and being together yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I love a couple of things you said here. So Gala Darling is huge now as well, isn't she? I mean, she was a baby blogger at the time, but she just had this fierce yeah. confidence and focus. Still doing amazing things. Yeah. Um, or just aesthetic, like very, very Virgo. Yeah, I'm Virgo too, but I don't fit the Virgo. Also gorgeous aesthetic, excuse me. Oh yeah, yeah fair enough. Very I'll fabulous. Take I'll take it. I love this, what I'm seeking is seeking me from the magic in in systems coaching, we call that the essence. And you mentioned the word trust. And right now I'm really trusting that because I'm going through a massive life change. I love that you call it living partnership as well. What a nice way to describe. I haven't heard that yet. A living partnership with somebody. What's that terminology used for? Well, it really was a living partnership and still continues to be a growing, expanding partnership. Master and I have a really strong bond and connection that started from, again, seeking out. I met Masa because now t- remind me, was it called Metropolis? Retropolis. Yes. Metropolis. Yes. Okay. So I land in Tokyo. I don't know anyone. I want to create short films. I don't know how to create short films. What would give me the idea of confidence? I'm a primary school teacher. I don't know, but I'm obsessed with obsession. I'm obsessed with how the Japanese take, you know, they could be the most in- world-class flamenco dancer. Whatever it is, I'm obsessed with how they become obsessed with things. So I put an ad in the metropolis saying something random, Australian woman looking for videographer. It's 2004, five at this point, looking for videographer to help me make short films. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine if I did that today? Oh my goodness. Only fans comes to mind. It was so innocent, you know, it was so fresh and so creative. And I met some really incredible humans, but I met this human called Masa. And he was like, I don't even have a camera. And skip to now, he has many cameras. What he was seeking also was seeking him. So his life has evolved very beautifully from those seeds planted then. I rock up, I meet this cute, sweet little 
femme presenting Japanese man with the coolest hair I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh, besties for life. And at that time we did not make short films, but we have made many since then about hooping and so many different things. Yeah, we just became inseparable. It was our living relationship really evolved and and we don't live in the same house I mean somewhere in between all of that since like 2005 I think we've been married we have uncoupled and yet we're still in relationship very incredibly so speaking of magic that is magic and that's the kind of reinvention renaissance and phoenix from the flames I mean I don't even know if any of this was as dramatic as kind of going down in flames this persistent reinvention of your relationship mm-hmm. is so interesting. Since we're talking about it, let's go yeah. there right now because yeah. that reinvention is, especially in the heterosexual world, is mm. a mind boggler, an absolute oh. mind boggler that yeah. you could meet this person, you describe him as femme presenting, which means mm. that he was somewhat effeminate. How would you describe that to the, the yeah, heterosexual totally, world? <laughs> totally Massa. You know, I mean, yeah, I know Massa. I'm putting sweeping generalizations yes. on all things queer gender and you yeah, know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So please allow some nuance here, but is sweet, soft Japanese man. And so my limited kind of stuff at that time was like, oh, he's gay. Straight away what I've unpacked over the time, and he's not been in relationship with men, what I've unpacked about my like instant profiling of what you look like equals what, you know, of course we have so much to unpack around that, was that he felt really safe and he felt really creative and he felt really someone that I could connect with. Amazing. I think it's really interesting as well. I mean, obviously both you and I come from a kind of Euro background masculinity is quite different in Japan. There's a lot more nuance and ambiguity here, I think, Mm -hmm. that's preferred. Obviously, they come very low down in the kind of gender equality. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about an OECD report. We're talking (laughs) about when you meet somebody, how things are taken care of in the background. And there's a lot that's taken care Mm -hmm. of in the background in Japan, Mm -hmm. masculinity-wise, femininity-wise, what Mm -hmm. power Mm -hmm. and strength people have. It's very different. So I just want to flag that as well. It's the the world that we moved in then. Both of us moved in then and I Mm -hmm. still move in now, although I Mm -hmm. hardly leave the house. It's kind of different. It has a whole different set of rules and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I was bringing what I had known, my background, yeah. what the profile, like the immediate kind of stereotypical stuff that I would, and I was like, oh, and it completely blew open my world. And I learned so many new things. And just from that meeting. So how do you reinvent relationships so radically? How do you go from being living partnership people, married and maintaining mm-hmm. this relationship professionally and personally while morphing it and changing it? What's that about? I mean, you always talk about being open. How did you do that? Or what's your take on that? Very deep care and understanding of the person, of the relationship, of the needs, and also really kind of understanding your attachment around the relationship and each other. And yeah, Master and I have had we still continue to have this very unique relationship in that we want the absolute best for each other. 
no matter what that looks like, no matter who that may be with. And of course, there are times where it's like, "Mm, do you think that's a good, you know, are you okay with that? Is that the right, whatever it might be, business decision, purchase decision, human connection decision, like, but we're there for each other to be like, I want the absolute best and I'm here for your reinvention. And I'm here for your support. And a big undercurrent of that was like, we have built businesses together along the way. So we've had the ups and downs. We've been the poorest of poor going to the, is it the Hyakuen shop? Like I would have like- 100 yen, yeah. Yeah, 100 yen shop, which is like two bucks. I could buy three things from the 100 yen. We had nothing because we sacrificed everything that we had to go into this life of creativity together. And so when you're in the trenches together with someone like that, I feel, and again, it's really lucky, you get to see all the good, bad, ugly, beautiful, amazing with each other. And so we are just there to support no matter what. But also there's a really special piece in this that that man has also allowed me to explore all parts of me without shutting that down. That must cause deep hurt. And yet he's still my greatest cheerleader. He's still like, yes, that looks good on you. You go for that. There's some magic there. That's real magic. So That is real magic and it's rare. And it's so interesting that Mm. I would have put this, chosen this painting to put there today. It's rare, but it also takes that real intention you were just talking about there. I love it. Mm. It's amazing. Deep care and understanding of a person. I felt a bit teary there and then I pulled myself back into the professional world. (laughs) There's this other, you know, there's this real kind of relationship anarchy as well. You know what? In the past, and particularly like a hetero presenting relationship would be your husband and wife, your man and woman, you break up, it's bad, it's all going to go to shit. There needs to be fights and arguments and separation and breakdown and there is, there was deep grief, deep sadness. There's probably like tones of all that jealousy and anger and all of those things, but it's the way that we bring it to the table that doesn't fracture the relationship. The struggles that we have in business as well as life, as well as partnership relationship, it doesn't have to look the way that we have had relationships conditioned to us. Wow. Relationship anarchy. I'm, I love it. That's so relationship anarchy and tones, tones of jealousy, tones of, when you say, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm jealous, that feels like a whole color. But actually what you're talking about is tones of colors. And that's really, I'm going to meditate on that. I'm not going to meditate, obviously. (laughs) My condition doesn't allow that, but like I will contemplate that afterwards, maybe journal about it. Yeah, moving through the world with that. And another piece is that And this is actually a big piece. So it's like going back to that Japanese culture, a lot of emotionality is not extremely expressed. So there can be some like, there's so, and a beautiful part of that is there's a real gentleness when the tones of jealousy come up. There's a real Mm -hmm. gentleness. And again, this is a generalization, but this is what I witness in Masa. There's a real gentleness when the sadness, the grief, the anger, it's not, as explosive. And that's not to just say that's like a, a Japanese thing. Yeah, it feels present there, making it like it's brought to the table with acceptance and softness 
and put realness, not mm. like hiding it away or being like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. Oh, I love that tone, mm. nuance, having to read through the gentle mm. expressions. We just talked then about briefly about both of our backgrounds, but yeah. could you tell me a little bit about your background and your upbringing and what yeah. kind of reinventions happened in the first 10, 15, 18 years of your life? Can you remember your oh, first wow. reinvention? <laughs> uh, I remember mine. It was yeah. when I got the nickname Sigsy. Then I became Sigsy. When you get a nickname or when you change your name, it's amazing. Anyway, go ahead. Wow. You know, it's so exciting doing these podcasts. I just want to say that to the listeners. <laughs> can you imagine everyone? Can you imagine the little baby Sigsy, the cuteness, <laughs> the all of the parts of baby Sigsy? Oh. She needs to So how about you then? What were your kind of reinventions and what, what was the first um, 10, 15, 18 years yeah. of your life like? It's really interesting because when you ask that question, like I have not prepared, I haven't thought about this. Good. I'm just holding whatever life I've lived in this body Good. and letting it out right now. The first actual person that popped into my mind as a, a trigger or an instigator of reinvention was my grade four and five, lucky for me, he got to become my grade four and five teacher who was called Mr. Simons, flaming gay. But at the time that was like the eighties. So we weren't talking like kind of the worst thing you could be as like a gay man or particularly in education at that time. But this meant something in here, there was just this bond, this connection. And he was like a real safe space for me. He was a creative in the theater arts would read us stories and hang his like fabulous loafer dangling off the tip of his foot as he crossed it. It was just divine. And I was deeply in love with him. And what he gave to me, what he presented to me firstly was a deep desire to become a teacher, even at that young age. So he sparked in me what would become my career. And I have had a chance to tell him this because when I graduated from uni with my teaching degree, I went back to my old primary school to be able to do my practicum and then actually teach for many years at that same primary school, which is a really tough primary school in a very rough and tough part of Australia. And that's where I grew up, you know, in that really rough and tough area, lots of... Northern Australia. Queensland. Yeah. Yeah. Real, like, so up the top. Kind so of provincial. Uh, yeah, it's an intense kind of area. But this man was like this, he was kind of this gateway out of that. I was a little kid. I didn't know all these things, but looking back, he was a gateway that you could be, ex- there was something about him that I wouldn't understand fully until later and then realized that what that was presenting to me as a child would also be a big part of my life and and my connection to gay culture and queer culture as well and that they would be my safe space and that they would be a place that I would often reside in not just for creativity but also for partying and for connection and for silliness and learning about myself and so that was a real time that sparked all of this stuff that would unfold for the rest of my life, really. Sparks and unfolding. Mm. <laughs> Many sparks. Then, yeah, schooling was was tough for me, but I, I went in, I head down and 
got it done because I knew that there was some kind of life afterwards. And there was. I studied for a really long time after high school. I did lots of, couple of degrees and um, lots of parties. <laughs> lots and lots of parties, lots of dance floor action. <laughs> I mean, you are a great dancer. I'm quite envious of that. I love to dance as well. I used to go to a lot of dance parties when I was young as well. It was a right to passage of being a 90s kid, I think, or a 90s kid who has a certain vibe, right? Who has yes, a certain definitely. appetite and a certain <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. appetite and a certain an appetite. bent. Yeah. And you can take that word however you want. Love that. But then there's also this very kind of serious side to you as well. And one of the things that I really enjoyed listening to was the fact that you have this strong ability to separate these things. I don't know if you still do that now, but that's a really interesting reinvention as well. And that's something that I've often, I wouldn't say struggled with, or maybe I would say struggled with is where to leave which parts of myself where. I'm kind of okay with that. Sometimes it works perfectly and sometimes it clashes terribly. If I'm sitting on the committee of chamber of commerce or something, It can get a bit messy if those two places try too hard to be combined together. I also just wanted to note this. You said Mm. you went to a really rough school. I went to a state Mm. school as well. I really enjoyed it as well. But at this stage in my life, I'm so glad I went to that school because I got to see every part of life from the sons and daughters of the local doctors and lawyers So the sons and daughters are the people who were really struggling in life with addiction and mental Mm -hmm. health issues. Mm -hmm. Everybody was in that school and I probably wouldn't have got to see, experience that. That sounds so awful. Like it was a little playground for me to experience all the things in life. No, but it's like, it gives us all of that color because all of that intensity of life. It's not just this one. Yeah. I feel really grateful actually. It's tough as some of the times and memories of from my childhood <laughs> it really need to go into. Yeah. I, I'm like, wow, I got to see it all. And I, I loved teaching. I loved the opportunity to go back and teach in that school. One of the most stressful periods of my life. That's what kind of launched me out of Australia over to Japan to teach in international schools because I was like, this Queensland education, like this is so intense. You know, I went into teaching because Mr. Simons was fabulous and I'm going to save the children and help the world and have these big grand, I'm going to go yep. back and be, be that teacher that, and it's really hard. Gangster's paradise like, style. You, <laughs> it's not that, yeah. you know, that I was no. so naive. I was yeah. so, so naive. And, and that launched me to Tokyo. Tokyo had always been a dream of mine since childhood. I would dream about I don't know why, maybe it's something very esoteric, but I would dream about being on the streets of Tokyo and just walk as a little kid. So I knew that I needed to be there for whatever reason, to launch, to find the whole hoop, to find Masa, to find myself, to find the community, to meet Sigzi, like ah. whatever it was, I yeah. had to be there. So the intensity of working as a school teacher in the state system with all those beautiful babies who need so much support and help kind of spat me out. I totally understand that because you're also a person, right? With sensitivities Mm. and needs and requirements. Mm. And I mean, my brother, he's also a primary school teacher and he worked in some really, really tough ones in South London. 
Wow. One really tough one in South London, really tough. But he has this absolute, nothing gets in, nothing goes out. Yeah, that's a real superpower. Yeah, no, it is a real superpower. And he was beloved. And he can walk through an estate in South London now and see one of his old students. They'll be like, all right, sir. All right, sir, just go out. Jill, you shouldn't be walking around here, you know, like that. But they'll look after him. It's wow. really yeah. funny. That's, but but I'm not like that. I'm not that. No. I am. Um, no. I'm porous to so many things. Are you like that, Deanne? Oh, yeah. Take it all on, all of it. And then also trying to take care of yourself as in your human life and all yeah. the stuff that you're dealing with as well, yeah. as well as everyone else, and the whole entire world and <laughs> holding it all. How, yeah, so, that's um, really hard. Yeah, that's why we, well, I would go to the dance floor very, very often. That's the respite from it all. Yeah. Go to that place. So this is, you know, many years later, the hoop then became that very personal space because going to the dance floor all the time was not often accessible. And then if you are living a professional life, it's hard. It, it is. It can be a double life. The dance floor can be a, a sober space, definitely, but it's not always. And so there's like trying to grapple with all of that and how that all fits in. The hoop was like, wow, fresh, mm-hmm. clean, mm-hmm. personal space, still dance floor vibes, still a space for me to completely detach from all that was. And at the time, speaking of clean, sober, at the time of the hoop coming into my life, I had just embarked on raw veganism. Me too? (laughs) Very strong. Yeah. Very extreme. Uh Uh-huh. And you see a pattern here. Very extreme. (laughs) Love the extreme. I don't just want to dabble. I want to know it all. I was like good, solid, like I'd started really hardcore solid on the New Year's Eve. I bumped into the hoop in July, so six months in. And I think I ate my first vegan, like a cooked thing, vegan cookie when I landed in California, like in September or something. So maybe it was even a whole year. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure you know the raw veganism means that you can't, I mean, you can, but your old mates that you'd once go to the Tokyo pub with and eat all the food, you know, like, I mean, I've been vego for ages, but it was like, no one wants to hang out with you because <laughs> you're like, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I won't eat that. I don't drink this. I don't. And so it was a funny time, but gee, I was healthy. <laughs> I, gee, I, I did it. Vibrant. About, yes. I did it for about three months. And I can remember oh, wow. I took the deepest. Yeah. Only three months. Wow, it was the same it's, time. It's there was lot. a There was a a couple of sisters, weren't there, who were really, really into it. I took the deepest breath I've ever taken while I was raw. I was in bed and I was Mm. like, is this going to keep going? Now I'm like, (laughs) was that because my body was starving for something? You were just hungry. (laughs) I was just like... But you I don't so know. so much space in you. And for all the joking, like it was truly life-changing, cellular-changing. Extremely difficult to maintain. Exactly. You've yeah. got to make a social decision at some point, haven't you? I was like, yeah. I actually want to go for dinners with my husband. And I was I was veggie at the time as well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I just want to quickly pull us out of kind of dreamland and back into the yes. practical land and ask mm-hmm. you, how do you set those boundaries between your spaces? And it seems very important to you because of your porosity or openness. So how do you set those boundaries between, for example, international school and the outside world that you were in or being a teacher and being a dancer? Ah, that is a really good question. I think I'm just like, feel really solid that there always has been multiple parts of me and that I have the capacity to live in those parts. And like, there can be this kind of like dirty tone to it. Like you've got this double life, like there's this real secrecy, but it's inauthentic. It's not (laughs) at all. It's very much, it's a non-negotiable that all of those parts get fueled and watered for me because they help me with my creativity, with my business, with my flow, with my partnerships. And anytime I've tried to shut down those parts, which is a very big and real and painful thing because of a whole bunch of reasons in society and partnerships, I feel like I have really struggled with my mental health when I shut down those parts, deeply struggled with depression and anxiety when I don't allow all of those parts to be expressed. It's not even really like, is it a conscious? Yeah, it's conscious in that I need to do this and this and this to to stay buoyant. And if I don't, I'll hear about it. My nervous system, my everything, my gut health, my skin health, my mental health will tell me. (laughs) <laughs> love that. Should be like alarm bells. Yeah. What are you? That. What are you not expressing? Yeah, integrating. It's for anybody who's listening. There's parts work, and there's also integrated family systems, and there's also in systems coaching. We've taken that and turned it into coaching, which is like about selves, secret mm-hmm. selves, ghost selves, all these kinds of things. And what I love about that work is that you don't marginalize these things and try and get rid of them. You actually have conversations with them and align with them and ensure that you can have them. And it seems like Deanne does that with some kind of instinct. Now, I think it's something that I can work on myself actually more and more. So great. That's so lovely. I love that you've just invited parts work into the, yes, into the space. I'm not saying that it's easy. Like I'm not no. like trying to make it all like, it's, you just be yourself. Oh, Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a constant play. I think you spoke before too about how do you be the business, serious leader and structurer, and then also be like, well, I need to play and dance floor and connect. And for me, I'm always thinking about structure and flow, structure and flow. Where do they meet? Where's that point? And more and more I'm learning and understanding and sensing, like I've got to work it out. I've got to know what it means. Intellectual, academic with things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, maybe my past training, but there is this other innate piece that is like, but we're allowed to be playful with it and just sense it and get a little bit more flow. And it's ironic that most of my work now is facilitating flow with a hula hoop. But even that is is now transitioning into something that I feel the hoop has taught me so much about flow in life, work, movement, business, relationships. And now it's kind of transitioning into, ooh, I was going to say without the hoop, 
letting the hoop go. Yeah, moving beyond that circle now. Okay, quickly then, I want to, oh, I nearly just knocked my light over with my feet because I was kicking my feet. (laughs) (laughs) How did you flow out of Japan? Because that was very much going with the flow, but the flow was strong, literally and figuratively as well. We didn't want to leave Japan. No. Japan shook us. Yeah, there was a huge earthquake and tsunami and it was very devastating and I was not leaving. Never going to leave and I certainly couldn't go back to Australia. Oh my gosh, that was what my nightmares were made of. But maybe about a month after, March, April, May, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe two months after, we made the decision to move to Melbourne. And it was really hard. There was big grief, not just to leave Japan, the place that I thought I would live the rest of my life out, this lifetime out in, but all of the chaos that came up because places, people, humans felt abandoned, it really caused a lot of upheaval. And it was a super sad time. It took me a long time to get over really big, long time. But then another part of me, the survival part was kicking in. The visa hadn't come through. We like pulled ourselves up and was like, okay, we're going to throw ourselves into this new city that he'd only visited once. He didn't have a visa. We didn't have any money. (laughs) It was costing all this money. Um, We didn't have a home and survival was kicking in. And I was like, I got to do something here. Like I'd been flitting around in my Tokyo disco, hula hoop, glitter, in the parks, in the playtime. And I was like, this, okay, it's survival now. I need to do something to help us exist and live and make money and flourish and be happy and not be so scared and sad about these big decisions. And I really want to support this man because I feel like I've taken him from his home. You know, there's all this like real mothering stuff coming up. And I had no clue how to do that. And I, in my mind, I was like, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? How are we going to do this? He can't work. We don't, I bloody worked it out. I really went hard, machine-like even, like really, really just doubled down so hard on, I know I can't go back into a classroom as a primary school teacher, but that was going to be the default, right? Because, well, I've got to, I can't. Something in me was like, you just can't. I think I did like after school care activities and stuff. And I was like, oh no, I cannot go back into that classroom. Not after the life I've just lived on the dance floors in Tokyo. Are you kidding me? Something was in me and I started working it out. And I was like, it was early days. And I was like, you know what? I need to teach online. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach online. I was like, how am I going to work this out? And I did, we start, you know, we would we'd go into the back alleys in Melbourne and I, I create a curriculum because I had been teaching hooping, but now it was real serious. Now it's like, I've got to work this out. I need to. And there was a moment where I was like, I need to step into being Deanne Love. Who is she and what has she got to offer and how is she going to do it? And I'd be like, Masa, we're going to get a camera and a tripod and we're going down the back alley. I'm going to teach the tricks into the camera. And then you're going to take that video and somehow we're going to get it on the internet so that people can press a button and pay for it and download it. And he was like, 
okay, all right. He's like, I don't, I don't think that exists. Or, you know, it was just, just a little bit happening, like books and people were downloading PDF. And I was like, no, people must be doing it. We're going to do it. Good idea, yeah. dear love, because skip forward. And it wasn't my idea. You know, it was just like, that's how the internet was starting to evolve. And people were sharing online education in that way. And it was, and YouTube. So YouTube then became a place where I was like, I'm going to teach. I'm not just going to flit around with my cute light up poop. I'm going to share how you do this stuff. And I'm going to use my skills that I've built in teaching to break it down. And I had no idea anyone would be interested. It was like in the basement of the warehouse that we ended up living in. Like it was all just real grassroots and it it grew from there. And it it was a survival mode. Amazing. Isn't it amazing that you were an early adopter of what's just straightforward now. Just straightforward. It's you can learn so anything, incredible. anywhere, anytime. Yeah. Just so incredible. And I mean, you, you've always been, in my mind, I mean, I haven't even touched on I just want to mention this because it was so fabulous. Your wedding in the park, which was like a big, it was literally like a circus with circus tents and bunting and everybody was dressed oh, up and it was. it was amazing, wasn't it? But then, mm. and that was maybe 2010, and then yeah. in 2011, the earthquake happened early doors. And then mm. inside that chaos, you emerged and left. And you've just broken a memory for me, which I've totally forgotten about, which was you were ousted by your community, right? To some degree. Uh, yeah, there was to some degree. I seem to remember talking to lovely Layla Marie, who was one of your hooping yeah. partners. And she told me something. I'm not going to mention any names. Yeah. Uh, yeah, something, and I that, something go had kicked that off. Space. Good. But I, and I feel like it happened for a lot of people. There were the people that were staying and the people that were going. Oh, yeah. And it was a really big decision. It yeah. was a really massive decision. And I was coming from survival, and so were they. Looking oh, yeah. back, we were all down in our base chakra. We were all gripping on for, like, what do we do now? My business is going to fail. My life is going to fail. I don't know what to do. And I was particularly... Why why did it shut down then? So why did your business go awry at that point? I'm not sure. Why would that have affected it? For a lot of the people that I was working with, it was all about performance and razzle-dazzle. And when you're in the middle of a natural disaster, no No. one needs razzle-dazzle. Yeah. But there was a quick upswing as Tokyo, she takes care of her humans. She shakes them up and then she holds them close. I was really frightened. I was... Yeah, I went in full flight mode. Good for you. Good for you. I mean, there was never any judgment from me. I went the other way where I wanted to stay somehow. But we went down to my parents-in-laws within days to kind of get far away from it all because it was just, it was shaking constantly. This is when I learned aftershocks aren't aftershocks. They're just more earthquakes. Earthquake after earthquake after earthquake. And I felt like an animal at one point, I can remember. And I was actually having proper visions. I would be able to see my grandparents in kind of shadowy form in the corner of my eye and stuff like that. I was like, that was the most mammalian I have ever felt. It was so weird. Things like that. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, gosh. So let's just. So it was a big time. It was a big time. Well, what happens when you have to reinvent yourself? Yes. You're not just like, maybe I'll try something new. No, 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 no. No. 
everything that you had been doing and known is now severed and you need to start again. Wow. And, you know, I was blessed to have humans that were like, oh, do you want to stay at our house? Or like, you know, and family a couple of states away. If I, if we, I think like we stayed at my mom's for a couple of weeks, you know, they, it's not saying we're completely alone, but we have to reinvent ourselves. This is not by choice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm having an epiphany now about, it's mm-hmm. the same with having gone so sober or stop drinking, having stopped drinking, mm-hmm. you'd become severed from an awful lot of stuff. And then really? my reinvention is yeah. quite a slow one now because that's the period of my life that I'm in. Mm. Yeah. So nice. nice. <laughs> when I yeah. become the, the old witch on the edge of the village <laughs> with no kids. So then you were in Melbourne and you did you created this amazing hoop community and business, which yes. you then grew. And again, I'm just yes. loving how you hit all these, the essence of you, the intuitions like I've got to get out of here. Then the psychology mm-hmm. is like, oh my God, I'm in survival mode. And then the mm-hmm. outside bit is right, master, let's make this. I'm going to go like a machine mm-hmm. and create something that can mm-hmm. support us and mm-hmm. use both of our skills and talents, teaching, mm-hmm. hooping, camera work, audio work together and make something that can support us. Love that. Amazing. And then also this real need for, I'm realizing, or it's always been a thread is that there was a severance from community and I am deeply needing to co-regulate. I need to be around as much as I want to isolate and I'm flight out of there. I need to co-regulate. And so this was a way of not only like supporting us creatively, financially, and, and having some kind of life purpose, but I needed to stay in connection with community. And at the time I was in this new land and I was like, how do I do this? Oh, the internet is where I find all the things. So it must be where I share all the things too. And it would just was this playground that I was able to stay in co-creation with community and community connection and building was a big piece of it still is constantly. I couldn't do any of this without all of the amazing, incredible student support community humans, really. What's the most radical reinvention you think you've made? (laughs) You can go as X-rated or as vanilla. I like vanilla, (laughs) as you like. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I love vanilla. The hoop just comes to mind again. Honestly, I know we've spoken about it, but there is a little piece happening right now and it could be it could be quite radical because I'm now back in Melbourne. So there's a piece in there where, where Master and I moved from Melbourne and we went to the Gold Coast and set up a creative studio there, which is he is still thriving in. This is his big creative space. But in the Gold, the Gold Coast, Coast Queensland, okay. yes, beautiful, warm, gorgeous by the beach. But for me, after being there for like an almost seven-year cycle, it just felt there's the parts of my life that are not fertilized there. And they would be the deeply creative and queer parts of me. And a lot of those humans and kind of chosen family are in Melbourne. And I just would always feel this, the culture, the connection, the family were just not there. The Gold Coast is nature rich. And I also had a very beautiful long-term relationship with a woman, that queer piece, it was there in that part of Australia, but it's like a bigger co-creation and that co-regulation with my community on a real personal level, nothing to do with my business or nothing to do with 
hey, hoopers, it's Deanne Love here kind of vibes. How was I nourishing my personal self and needs and parts? And so I've landed back in Melbourne in a, I'm living on my own for the first time since I moved to Tokyo when I was 27 and I'm now about to turn 47. <laughs> Exciting. Oh God, it's such a, such an incredible time of life, Deanne. I'm just so really good. on the edge of my fertile to non-fertile years. Yeah. And there's a very, very clear cutoff point that's going to happen around that. <gasps> and uh, I, feel like, I feel like a it's witch. Exciting. I feel yeah. amazing. Totally. There is like this new vibrancy. Look at you. Look at you. Absolutely insane. But also, (laughs) I mean, when your hormones are going off the charts and you're not a teenager, because it was the first time when you're a teenager, right? And everything. When you're in your 50s and this is happening, it's like, whoa. Yes. And then you like start getting all the little stuff from the universe. But you know what? I just want to come back to this. Listen, I've got such a pinball brain, but I love that about myself is co-regulation, co-creation. Yeah. But co-regulation, this Mm -hmm. is, I just posted something on Facebook last night because yesterday I had a really, I woke up in the morning and I just, my brain was going, you, you're a loser. Do you ever have those days? I don't Absolutely. know. Yeah, All I mean, time. I listened to you Absolutely. on one of the podcasts saying that you, one of your confessions was that you were having mean thoughts or something like that. It was something like that. It's oh. brutal some days and it's like, where is this Terrible coming thoughts. from? And then you're like, oh, well, I know where this is coming from. From childhood, from the fact yeah. that I've got way too little estrogen and way too much of this at yes. the moment, whatever it is, because... I'm still baby sober. So there's that. And also just my DNA also contains a lot of that. Okay. So there's the reasons, right? I could throw out another 10. Then I was running a writing workshop, but what I do is I host. So I have all the environment and I host, and then a poet comes and runs the actual workshop. We jumped on half an hour before instant relief. And so I'm like, is that co-regulation, Deanne? And then when everybody came in, to the workshop and yeah. I'm like, you know, introduced the poet where I introduced you like a rock star. Yeah. And then we started the workshop, instant relief. Then I had a coaching session after that one-on-one with somebody who's going through a pretty tough time, amazing yeah. coaching session. And I mm-hmm. ended up with just feeling great. Is that co-regulation? Yeah. yeah okay. Together. Yeah. We are co-regulate our nervous systems at mine and then yours and us together. Like we need each other. And particularly as solo art creators, artists, we spend a lot of time. Do you spend a lot of time in your own brain? Because I spend a lot of time in my own brain. And so we could call that, and there's this real liberation in being able to do what we do and have the space and time that we have, but there's also, there can be a big imbalance. I find if I don't co-regulate, And it's so interesting that we kind of innately do that. But just for me, it's so recently in therapy sessions, I've been going to therapy every week with the most incredible somatic experiencing therapists, like life changing. Where have you been all my life? For the last six months, every week we've been having sessions and it came up. This might be a really interesting example of co-regulation. So someone crashed into my car on the first day that I was here. I wasn't in the car. I'm safe. I'm fine. It's just a car, a brand new car, but it doesn't matter. It's sitting out the front. Someone crashes into it. 
I go out, I see that they've crashed into it. Um, they haven't left a note. I go, nervous system goes, it just loses it. I go into complete chaos, but all internally, no one would know. I don't want, you know, maybe that's the Tokyo vibe coming out of me. Those years of like, just keep it safe face. Do not show that you are absolutely losing it because what have you got to do? You got to do all these things, but you're also moving house. And I shared that with my therapist and they were like, what would you and your nervous system have liked to have happened? And I was like, I don't know, because that's how I always react to everything. How would I know? That's what I do. I freak out on the inside, but I don't want to show anything to anyone. Like I'm cool, calm, collected. And they were like, what would you have liked to do? Or when there's a reactive situation, any kind of situation. And I had a little moment and I was like, I would have liked to have seen the crash and the fact that I was about to have to pay all this money for insurance. And it was annoying because I had all these other things to do. And then walk over to the neighbor and say, hey, I just moved in next door. Did you see someone crash into my car? Or like, hey, does this happen? Walk over to the other neighbor and have a chat and maybe have a cup of tea and like hang out in their house. Like that's co-regulation. That's what I would have liked to have done because we don't have to do it all on our own all of the time. Mm. Mm. Expect messenger messages from me. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about co-regulation there, um, mm. I want to honor you for something that you probably, oh, I'm getting emotional, right? Stop. You don't know that you did for me maybe many years ago. So this is many years ago in Tokyo, about this time, maybe a couple of years later when it was the time, I mean, it was such a fertile time in Tokyo. I think you were part of a little mastermind, maybe with Catherine North and mm-hmm. a couple of other people, right? And I was on the fringes of that at the time, but I had one foot in and one foot out. And mm-hmm. I was on my own reinvention journey, which would eventually, a few years later, mean my, I left my job and started my own business, which was amazing. But it was that kind of those very early adopters, the Marie Folios, the Danielle Laportes, the Chris Gilbo. And I can remember being in the back of a taxi once going somewhere. I didn't have taxi money, but I was always late. So I was in the back of a taxi in Nakano. And Mm -hmm. you sent me a manifesto from Chris Gilbo. And Mm. I don't know whether your mastermind had given you a project to send something to somebody or whether you just thought, oh, I think Mm -hmm. Sigsy might like this, or you were just trying to spread the word or whether you got a special offer from Chris. I don't know. No, that bit, no. (laughs) I don't care. I actually don't care. But you sent me this manifesto because that was the thing at the time, wasn't it? PDF Mm. manifestos. So we were like the second wave or I was 2.5. There was the early adopters. Then there was that gang there and some of us are still in play like Catherine's still a really vibrant coach with so much to offer you're still doing what you were doing then I started and have continued and I'm in reinvention at the moment as well but I just want to honor that because you just don't know that a tiny thing like that will change the trajectory of somebody's life so radically and also it was like this person thought I would think this was good so I'm that guy you know it's like Yeah. It's worth it. They took their time and this is great. And this is definitely the direction I want to go in. I still quite like him, actually. He was cool. He visited every country in the world, didn't he? And he had all these hacks for getting cheap flights. I don't know. I I can't even remember. Like, yeah, but it's like in that moment, we're co-regulating. Yeah. I love you and I care for you. And I, I think you're a really rad human. And 
you might like this and take it or leave it. If it's going to, you know, if it's going to elevate things and it's like, oh, it's too much work and don't, that's okay. Don't even need to reply. Just, yeah, yeah, that's a really potent reminder to do that more often in an age where where there's so much information. There's a million manifestos sliding past us that are, oh my God, that one, I'll do that one. But the real deep care with each other, for each other. Oh, yeah, about time. Good reminder. Yeah, I love the word, you used the word potent there because my word of the year last year was potent magic and it remains. That's a good one. Yeah, It's unseen, isn't it? You just have to wait Mm -hmm. for it to rise up, find Mm -hmm. its way up to you. As we start to close out then, I just want to know, first of all, what's your wisdom about reinvention? Mm. It's a wisdom that actually landed with me very randomly. Must have been about seven years ago. So I was 40. 40 felt like something big and new, like I should know stuff and I should be an adult and what am I doing and what should I be doing? And hello, body, are you changing? And I randomly, as I often do, reached out to a person who was an acupuncturist. I hadn't really done acupuncture, didn't really, wasn't something that I had trusted in the past, but it just felt like this was right. And I turned up to this person's house and she was an older woman, an older queer woman in her, I would say like mid to late fifties. And we did acupuncture, but this woman shared with me the wisdom of the void and she called it the void. And I had never heard that before. And all of the thing, everything that I, I'd read the whole entire internet, <laughs> there had never been an older woman share with me that what I was experiencing could potentially be the void. And all of the magic and the softness and the waiting and the surrender and the peace, because I was struggling. I was like, I need to know my next thing. What's my next thing? It needs to be big and amazing and magic, but I'm 40. And then like, does, is this the end? Maybe I'm too old for all that. And like, I better tone it down. You better tone it down because you're 40s now. And this person sat in front of me, just this random stranger and offered me the wisdom of the void and that it's going to come time and time again, but it's actually the ramping up. There has to be a surrender in that. I don't know how long the void is going to last. And it's okay because the void is equally as potent and as ecstatic and as supportive and as nourishing as that big, high, wild vibe times or the yes. And I know I'm doing something. I am in my purpose. I am living my, so. I am the queen of Tokyo and now I'm not. You were the queen of Tokyo. and I was definitely not the queen of Tokyo. (laughs) You were, you (laughs) so were. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And now, now I'm the I'm weird, weird witch at the end of the village. And so, now, you know, it's transforming. Oh, yeah, totally. it's the void. Oh, I'm so into it. Oh my God, I'm so into it. The wisdom of the void. What's your next reinvention then? I believe you are doing a master's. And yeah, yeah. I just want to hear what your next reinvention is and what's next for you. And I think there's probably some voidy stuff here as well. Yeah, yeah. In the kind of like, the lockdown times, we had time to think about what was going on. And it was actually a time when, you know, internet online education that I'd spent a long time setting up was booming, but I, I, I was not booming. I was not booming. I was like 
moving out of one relationship into another, trying to hold on to the parts of myself, trying to deal with a panda, being the poorest human, trying to deal with the fact that lives were lost and this, this unknown thing was coming to, it was a big, tough, weird time for me and the planet. And I was seeking, I was like, what is next for me? Because I don't think, I don't know who I am, what I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. And as I often do, I turn to education. So I'm like, I need to learn something new. Maybe I'll do another course. But this time, maybe it'll be what's underneath all of the hooping? What's underneath all of the flow? And it was very much understanding embodiment. And I'd done, you know, lots of embodiment training and courses and teacher trainings and all of the things because I love to do all the things. And I felt like I really wanted to somehow just wanted to do my master's in counseling, just wanted to understand another facet of human behavior and connection and support and this co-regulation. And it is boring. It's very boring. Yeah. And yet I'm a, I'm a real stick to it kind of person. Like unless something happens in the next year or two, yeah, I'm going to stick with it because it, it's really support. It's like very, it's very much the structure. It's very much the yeah. developmental theories and the like, well, write the essays and all of that stuff that is, is quite hard and there's no dopamine in it. So it's very yeah, challenging for triggered. me. Getting triggered very a psychology degree. Me. I yeah. have to keep remembering. It's not fun. It's not exciting. But, but there is something else that's kind of like there's a future vision with it and how that un- will unfold, I'm unsure. Will be revealed. Yeah. It's in the essence right now. It's in the potent it's, magic. It's happening. It's boiling in the cauldron. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Boiling in the cauldron. So where can we find you? Aww. Where do you want us to follow you? Can you come have a cup of tea? Oh, for sure. In my new living room. <laughs> yeah. Loving your new li- I love I your little you dressing you've done in the background there. A little bit of, <laughs> yeah, a bit of spell you're casting in the background there. Little, I'm loving it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one, at one point there in the pandemic, I opened a plant shop. But that, <laughs> I just... just why not? Why not? Needed oh no, God, look, our they're, they're um, our our plants are messing with each other. Similar <laughs> family. Oh, okay. Well, mostly you can find me. What if we're talking hoop stuff? Hooplovers.tv and learn.hooplovers.tv is the the platform for learning. And I do spend a lot of time on Instagram, which is at Deanne Love XO, but a lot of time on YouTube has has been the the kind of float tank where a lot of tutorials have been laid down. So, yeah. And I was intrigued that you have some EFT videos up there, which I'm getting into as well. So yeah. I've been aware of EFT for a long time because aforementioned Gala Darling was into it yes. back in the day. And then yeah. Denise Duffield Thomas, whom she, Thomas, ah, yes. she also yeah. does it in her money mindset thing as well. Yeah. I find it hard to stick with it, but your videos are really short. So I'm going to go over yeah. and look at those. What's in that? What's in the EFT? Yeah. Actually, EFT really helped me in a big transition in Tokyo, um, kind of moving out of extracting myself from Australia. You know, it's a long, like for some people, it's a quick transition, for, but for me, it takes many years. And I discovered EFT back then too. I wonder if it was Gala Darling, probably, because that blog was so influential to me. And I used EFT back then and then forgot about it. It was just this thing in the background. Um, what does it then, stand for? Emotional freedom technique. Right. Okay. 
Yeah. So it really helped me. Like it was just a personal thing. And then one day, scoot many years forward, a woman called Dr. Peter Stapleton came into the creative studio that Musser and I set up, 11 Past 11 Studio, and said, oh, I'd like to shoot some videos for online training. And Masa, I think he called me or messaged me and he was like, hey, there's this doctor here that does the science behind EFT. And I was like, get out. I need to know. And so I went in and trained with her. And for me, it hasn't come through as like something that I facilitate very deeply, but I, it's there. It's a, yeah. I, it's not a, a constant practice for me. It's something that sits as a modality that I would definitely have in my life and then potentially in future students or clients. We'll see. In your toolbox it's, right now. It's, yeah, it's, right. it's super, like really powerful stuff. And Dr. Peter Stapleton is an Australian doctor and researcher and what she has, her and her teams have discovered about the potency and reality and healing powers of EFT she takes it beyond the 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 esoteric and the woo woo, and she's very science driven. So it's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, it's that embodied element, right? Where it's not just mm. saying the words; you're actually tapping your yeah. skin as yeah. well. So something happens. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to get into Which that is also right a now. Great, a great stim, you know, just can be a thing that we often do yeah. anyway. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, it's yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm going to go and check out your videos after this. All right. So there are many ways to lead a life. And what does this mean to you? There are many ways to lead a life. What it sometimes means is being really discerning about what you're being offered and fed and conditioned by. And those conditions can run strong. And they're like, oh, I should do that. I should have this, or I should have more, or I need to have those pieces of my life to be successful, to be happy, to be whatever. But there are many ways to live a life. There are just so many ways. And if you have the courage and the support, definitely the support to explore those many ways, then why not? (laughs) Why not? It does take a lot of courage. Yeah. But it's, it's exhilarating. Ah, the courage and support to explore and it's exhilarating. Deanne Love, what a wicked way to end. (laughs) And uh, you are all love. And just listening to you today, talking about the many ways you've lived your life has been incredible. I've made two pages worth of notes. I'm taking away today relationship anarchy and my relationship anarchy will be just to devote more and more and more to my partner, my living partnership, Mm. aka husband, (laughs) and in our childlessness and in my transition into non-fertile years. What I'm seeking is seeking me. I mean, that's an oldie but goodie. So while I'm in this kind of withdrawn phase, when the wave pulls back, Mm. that's where I'm, I'm just letting what's seeking me to find me. I'm so happy that you're discerning because you discern to say yes to this. So that's, again, <laughs> it's like, oh, amazing. Straight up, yes. So, it was an straight absolute up, yes. yes. Oh, straight yes. away. Big oh. yes. And I'm all for that. As soon as yeah. it's like, something like, yeah. oh, maybe, oh, I don't have time. Yeah. And then I was just like, absolute flow, yes. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank Divine, you. yes. Yeah. And it's so interesting because my marketing lady has said, we're going to do a series called the Hell Yes Series. Oh, 
All right. And then this deeply creative and queer parts of yourself being connected in culture. And that's why you made your geographical move. So Mm. just knowing what you want, that's not a should. I should be in Melbourne, which is more cultural. No, it's a like, this is what I want. It's potent. It comes from the cauldron. And, um, you know, it's so funny you are starting to study because my one of my previous guests, Neil Young, not the songwriter, but the makeup artist to the stars during lockdown, of course, couldn't do anything because his hands have to be on yes. people. And see, he studied therapy as well. He studied transactional analysis and he's now mm. got qualified for that, as well as being an amazing makeup artist again in the world. So I just love that these these golden threads that run through everything mm-hmm. and Thank you, Deanne, so much. It's been an absolute treat. I feel so good. I feel regulated and divinely blessed. And also I feel like I have that really strong sense of where the structure needs to happen in my life as well. And maybe what I need to invite more of to regulate more and to be more service in the world to myself and to everybody else. Yeah. So I'm Sarah Faruya. This is the Legends Podcast. Thank you for sharing your myths and legends with me today, the ones that popped out of the ether. And um, you can find me at sarahfaruya.com. I want to say a big thank you to Laura Marushima for her support with the setting up of these and also to everybody for listening. Thanks, everybody. And see you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to these creative musings and stories of reinvention. And if it's Guests Week, big love and gratitude to our guests. Go follow them everywhere. Shout out to Laura Marushima for her podcast management and support. I would love if you would follow and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend you think would love or benefit from it. You can also find me at Sarah Brewer Creative on Facebook and Instagram and get on my occasional, very occasional newsletter list at sarahbrewer.com. I just love that you're here and I'll catch you the next time on the Legends Podcast. Rise like a phoenix, baby. And don't forget to take other people with you. Bye.